Um, this morning, uh, it is a good morning, uh, whether we feel like it or not, whether we're awake or not, uh, the Lord has called us to meet together with him, and, and we should remember that. Uh, go, you know, feelings and emotions are good, but sometimes, you know, faith has to go past, past those things, correct? We're going to continue to go through this, this gospel, um, and just hearing the words of Jesus, our Savior, who we follow, uh, the things that are easy, easier for us. Um, to understand and the things that, that are harder, that Jesus says some very profound things, but then he says some very God-like things that, that as humans, we don't always understand or get. Matthew is making a case for Christ throughout his gospel. He leaves out certain details and events. He is a tax collector. His whole point is for you to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. If you are reading this gospel 2,000 years for the first time, and in that ancient society, how they viewed things, how they looked at things. He's making a case, but by the end, you're like, he's either, he's either crazy or he's God. He's all about the main thing in Matthew. The case for the last month, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And the walking on the water, that's for us to see the miraculous signs that only the Messiah could do. And then you see the religious response from the Pharisees with hand washing. You're supposed to sit in that place, too. They had a very religious society, much like Springfield. And then last week's teaching with the Gentile woman, and that was important for them to see a Gentile woman coming to the Lord, coming past religion, coming past doubt and saying, I have to touch him. And then the feeding of the the 4,000, the second time Jesus does this great feeding, and that was to a Gentile group. That's important, too, and that's on purpose by the Lord, but also Matthew wants you to see it. And then today we get another religious response, and we need to look at that. And by the way, next week, and this is all on purpose, Jesus asks his disciples, and Matthew wants you to see it, who do you say that I am? There comes a point where every believer has to say, who is Jesus? And it's essential in this walk in faith in Christianity. But today we'll look at another religious response. If you can, turn your Bibles with me to Matthew 16, and we'll be in verses 1 through 12. It says, The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, When evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Verse 7. They discussed among themselves and said, is it because we didn't bring any bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, oh, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Let us pray. Father, Lord God, how we need you today. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. We need you. 
Will we be like the woman last week who although society and culture said she should be quiet and she has no place, that our need for a Savior would compel us to cry out to the only one that can save us in the name of Jesus. God, we need you today. Open our eyes, our hearts, and our minds to you, corporately and individually, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Show us a sign. This is the religious response. And this isn't the first time religious leaders demand a sign. We actually see this in Matthew 12, 38 to 39. It says, then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So this is the second time they're asking the same question. This time, the Pharisees and Sadducees come together, the two religious groups. And this is kind of another flex on Jesus. Maybe, number one, maybe they're teaming up with their hate. It's crazy how we can be unified in our hate towards something. Not always the wisest thing. Or maybe this is a political move. Which group are you a part of? They're asking for a sign into the heavens, which is like this form of astrology. This is a weird request because the Bible forbids it. And then the Sadducees don't believe in anything other than the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, and the temple. They don't believe in signs of any kind, yet they're asking the Lord with their enemies. In the Sadducee world, they just have the law and the temple. And understand this. The religious and the atheist or the agnostic group, they all end up in the same camp eventually. And understand this. Atheists and agnostics, they work hard in that religion. And it's something that we need to look at. The religious like to tell God what to do. I'll believe it when I see it. They make up their own rules. God only moves this way, and it's not found in the Bible. And the atheist says there's just not enough evidence. Well, the book of Romans tells us there's plenty why do we need to sit and camp in this, this religious spirit? And this is two, two weeks that I, I get to teach about this. Why? Because it's something that affects us. This religious spirit, and I do believe it has a name, it's demonic powers. We believe in heaven and we believe in hell. And we believe in, in angels. We believe in, in spiritual darkness as well. And in the spiritual darkness that the Bible speaks about, there are these spirits and this religious spirit blinds the atheist. You couldn't have any more evidence that there is a creator, right? Where the earth is at and the tilt and the seasons and all the right elements. We've talked about that many times. You just look to the facts of science and you go, yeah, we were not just here by chance. Yet sometimes the most intelligent people in the world would say, nope, it was probably aliens. Right? Or it's just, I don't know, just this cosmic force that has no... No. Like, the only way that we don't die is by the grace of God. And yes, I believe science proves and shows, like, real facts. Like, whoa, we were not here by accident. And every day would we remember that. As people struggle with suicide and depression and anxiety, like, you are here for a reason. Nothing is by accident. And that, that religious spirit, I mean, these, 
Pharisees and Sadducees who hated each other, yet they were unified in their hate. And they're trying to, I mean, they are trying to mess up and flex on someone that is performing miracles. There's no doubt. I mean, he's doing all these things. They've seen it themselves. And they're like, okay, let's go trip this guy up. He's our enemy. They're unified in their hate. And they're saying, we demand a sign. And look at another time that the Sadducees alone try and put Jesus in a trap of theology. And again, they're demanding a sign. And they have this critical attitude and spirit towards God. And this is in Matthew 22 verses 23 to 33, and we're, we're probably not going to get to that point in Matthew um, as we go through this book. But this passage was really important to me growing up, so I want to read, and I want to discuss it a little bit. It says, that same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Verse 30, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given to marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teachings. For the Sadducees, they were big on like, man, we don't have a relationship with God. We have the law. We have the temple. We don't even, we're not even concerned about heaven or the afterlife. So they're coming to Jesus again. And it's on their political move and their beliefs. And he talks to them about marriage. And this is an actual law found in Deuteronomy 25. This was about keeping the family name. And what Jesus tells them, you are an heir because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. This was something, the first time I heard this passage, I was taught to believe that we knew specifically what marriage would be like in heaven. And a whole um, theology built on a covenant with your husband and your wife and that you would be a, a, a little God one day. And so when I heard this for the first time at 14 years old, I was like, it just blew my mind because I realized I was hearing false theology from men. But I believed in the word of God, and so my heart was just on fire. And I would say this. Let's, let's be careful in not making this theology of what marriage will be like in heaven. All right, maybe your marriage is, is rocking, and you hear this. And you're like, well, it's not going to be exactly like this. You're like, oh, no. Or maybe you're on the struggle bus this morning, and you're like, this is good news. Yes, there's a limit to this. <laughs> right? Again, for me, I, I was taught to believe certain things that were very specific to marriage in heaven. So when I heard this, I was like, wow, I need to dig in deeper. And why? It's really good when the Bible has authority in your life. And for me at a young age, the Holy Spirit was speaking, and I had one Bible. 
And so the Bible held all authority. And when I realized there was a contradiction, it woke me up to more of who Jesus was. When you hear something that does not fit to what you believe the Bible says, do more research. You won't know this until you're reading the Bible yourself as well as listening to public teachings. Like when we go to Ecuador and we minister to that people group, we use the Bible because whether they're Christians or not, they believe in the Bible, but they don't know the Bible. And we will show them contradictions. We'll like, read for yourself what it says right there. And when their eyes are open, when we're dealing with a religious spirit, man, one of the breakers of that is the word of God. He is the God of the living. Jesus points to their understanding of scripture and to the power of God. We must bend to the word of God, but also understand the word of God points to the power of God. There are some mysteries of heaven. You and I, we don't know everything. The truth of what we know and the things we don't know yet must be in tension with one another. Even the Bible says that all the words of the Bible can't contain all the things that Jesus did. Growing and maturing as a church takes repentance and reflection and most importantly, abiding in Christ. And understanding this pillar, he is God and we are not. So let's wrestle, let's go deeper, and let's mature. Questions are good. If you're following Jesus, you, you, you understand that you are human created in his image and you are not God and he is God. His, all his ways, the Bible promises, they're higher than yours and they're not always going to make sense. If you're following Jesus and you don't have many times throughout your walk with God and say, God, I don't understand this. I don't understand this passage. I don't understand this thing. Like I would really question if you're following the Lord. Some just have a blind faith by the Holy Spirit. I praise God for that, but most of us just don't. We got to dig deeper, but understand that he is God. We are not. I do believe in absolute truth. But I also believe in my own perfections and pride, which means I can think I am right even when I am terribly wrong. Right? I love backpacking, and I have been on the same trail more than once and got lost. And I have a GPS that I refuse to look at. Why? Because I'm prideful. And so are you. Right? We're just, we're just, we're, we're, it, we can just be ignorant. And it doesn't matter how, like, how the, the degrees you have, the intelligence you have, you're still like, we're just prone to this pride. It's one of the, it's one of the, the first sins that we know of. So as we look and then we question and we know, we, we do it with certainty, but also with humility. And why? Because sometimes we're just way too overconfident. Winston Churchill said this. Criticism may not be agreeable, but it is necessary. It fulfills the same function as pain in the body. It calls attention to, to an unhealthy state of things. And Winston Churchill, he was around World War II. And he had, he had a design in his life that he had to stand up against some darkness and do those things, right? He looked at how the world was going. He said, no, I'm going to do something about that. We must do that in the church as well. Right? There's corrections. There's a lot of false theologies and teachings right now. We need to stand up against those things. 
But there's got to be a tension. Why? Because we like to be mean when we think that we're right. Like we can be just like the Sadducees and Pharisees. Jesus is performing these miracles. You see it all through the gospel. Matthew wants to, you to see their response. They would not bend a knee because of lack of facts. It was pride on their part. They thought they could save themselves. They were more comfortable in their intellect and their understanding of the law than this Messiah who was fulfilling the law. D.L. Moody said this, you may find hundreds of fault liners among professed Christians, but all their criticism will not lead one solitary soul to Christ. It's this tension of like, okay, Lord, correct us, and may we find like untruths and bring truth in. I thank God that years ago someone read to me Matthew 22. And it opened up my eyes. I thank God that someone didn't just allow, someone invited me to church and said, you you say you're a Christian, but you don't go to church. That doesn't line with the Bible. I'm like, okay, you're right, because I was reading the Bible. And then on that very day, this Baptist preacher who did not know my background preaches on this passage that woke me up in ways he did not know. I needed a correction. What D.L. Moody is saying, let's be careful with all this criticism, though. they should worship with their hands raised up they should be more quiet they should shout right we've had some like sometimes people like will visit the church and like man you got someone whistling in the background i'm like that's me sorry i whistle i don't know it's and part of that honestly comes from my background of like sports and stuff like if i am at a ball game and i see a touchdown or an interception i'm like i'm not silent can ask my wife right i'm the loud guy we actually sit away from people because i won't be quiet So when I see the Lord moving, I get excited in that way too. That might not be your response. That's okay. So we wrestle with things because we can have this critical spirit. Remember, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, the Pharisees loved God. They were actually being persecuted by the Romans because they wouldn't bend a knee. Yet they were still at fault, and they were all about religion. So there's got to be some tension, and a beautiful tension. Matthew 5, 17, don't think I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I've come, to, I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And I'll tell you this, New Testament believers, the Old Testament truth matters. As we wrestle with truth and we have a hard time understanding parts of the Bible, and the Old Testament is full of them, if it's the authoritative word, then it gets the final word. If you wrestle with your questions like that, you might just go deep enough to find some glorious answers. Does that make sense? There's been some truths that that I was taught that were not correct, and then I would read the Bible because I believe it's authoritative, and it is the Word of God breathed out into men that would write it. Sometimes translations aren't correct, right? But because I believe it has all authority, and especially some things in Old Testament, and I'm like, this seems like uh, so different. You get to see the judgment of God, the sovereignty of God in the Old Testament. But then you get to see the mercy in the New Testament. And he's God of both, which is why we need Jesus, the lamb who was slain. You can't have one without the other. But thank God that he is good. Remember he is good. And remember his ways are higher than ours. If not, man, we're just walking in that religious spirit too. What does Jesus tell them? Be on be on guard. 
There are four points I want to look at this morning to help us be on guard. Point one, be on guard against false teachers and wrong theology. Be on guard. Don't be on judgment. Don't be the judge and jury on every little thing. But be on guard. Guard your heart. This is the wellspring of life. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, test everything. Hold onto the good. Now, when we look at 1 Thessalonians 5.21, it says, test everything. Hold onto the good. That New Testament scripture tells us to test every spirit because not everyone comes from God. That is an important thing. For some of us, man, we are just kind. We're bleeding hearts. This is going to be a radical move for you to test things. Right? You want to believe everything is good. Everybody has good intentions. Any people in the room like that? Right? You're the kind ones. You're probably too humble to raise your hands. Then there's some of us. You need to look at 1 Thessalonians. You like test everything. Yes, I've got a degree in that. Right? Be careful. Be careful. Come with the Holy Spirit. Come with humility. Come with love. Like God used people that, that were messed up. Right? Just like be on guard. Test things. Yes. But you're not the police in this. Matthew 7.15 says, watch out for false prophets. For they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Again, this isn't a license to be the heretic hunter. Okay? Let's just be cautious with this. And then again, Jesus tells them in verse 6, be careful. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. Study the truth. Be in the Bible. The stuff that is easy to digest and the stuff that is hard. When you come to that point, maybe in a ministry or in your life or in a movement, maybe even parts of the Bible, you're like, that doesn't sound like the Jesus I know. Be on guard. Study more. Be on guard with false teachings, but also with your own prideful heart. Right? Campbell is right here, right? And it becomes a one-way after downtown. I can't count how many people, and some from this church, that are coming this way when it's all going that way. Right? So that's the way I go home. And man, probably every other week, there's someone just going the wrong way on a one-way, and they look at you like you're the one that's mentally challenged. <laughs> and you're like, nope. Me and the other person... Yep, that are going this way. You're the one. And they're like, sometimes I get a one-finger salute going down that road. You know, like, it's just like, just be on guard with that, right? Be on guard with your own prideful heart that just thinks you're always right. And Satan will have you put a flag there saying, you're doing this for God. Like, nope, you're doing this for yourself. But still be on guard. And how do you do that? Study the Bible. Study it. Know it, and you're going to find some things that go, oh, is this, does this not sound like the Jesus I know because my bent is this way, or is it really unbiblical? Go to some other people, too. Like, hey, I, I see this teaching. I, I, don't, I don't want to be mean to these people, I, but, but just, this doesn't seem like this is what the Bible preaches, right? I, I still, Pastor Michael and I still have that stuff. We're like, I don't know about this. Like, let those things be intention and be on guard, Point two, as God tells us to be on guard of, of these false teachings and this critical spirit, more like Jesus, less like man. The New Testament struggled with something that we struggle with in Springfield, Missouri. We say this is for the glory of God, but church after church struggles with the temptation of the glory of themselves, Right? I'm standing up here with a Emmaus shirt, right? 
mainly because I, you know, if, if it has Emmaus on it, it's like business for me, and I can wear it. So it's a t-shirt, hoodie, whatever. But I have to be cautious of not like, let's make Emmaus great because I happen to lead it. Everybody should be called to Emmaus because I happen to be one of the leaders in it rather than I am just as excited for the church around the corner that professes Jesus to grow. Amen? And the Apostle Paul dealt with this. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 1, 13 to 15. This is from the Apostle Paul. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And then he says, I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say they were baptized into my name because that's what the church was doing. And we see the same thing today, right? So be on guard with false theology, but also be on guard with this spirit. Man, we love to take God's glory for our own. And this is throughout time. We are to make disciples of Jesus, not of men. I'm so tired of the religion and the church hate and competition. And yes, it is massive here in our city. This is the message that, that many churches do, and, and we can do it too. Come here, we're your answer. Nope. We are messed up. And we need Jesus. We are not your answer. The gospel of Jesus Christ is. Point to Jesus and his gospel. And that's every church's anthem. There are a lot of good churches in Springfield. Why? Because the word of God will not come back void. It's God's promise. There are a lot of good churches in Springfield, Missouri. And Emmaus is just one of them. And it's because the Bible promises it. Are any of the churches perfect? Nope. Why? Because only one is perfect, and that is Jesus. Right? Do we understand that? Point to Jesus. Point to Jesus. Point three. Tell the truth. No add-ons. I love the fact, and this is important, Jesus is being flexed upon by the Pharisees and Sadducees. The one thing they can agree on is their hate, and they come on him, and they ask him some things, and then Jesus tells them about the use of the Pharisees, and this is the response of the leaders of the New Testament. It's because we didn't bring any bread, huh? That's what he's talking about. These disciples seem a little challenged as leaders, right? Praise be to God. He didn't say, oh, let me find the most intelligent ones. Let's get them up here. The most articulate ones, the tallest ones, the, the best looking. Oh, man. Oh, look what I... God doesn't look at his leaders that way. He found the outcasts. He found the ones that people didn't like. I mean, he's using a tax collector. The Jewish people hated tax collectors. And God is using him. This is not the story you write down unless it's true. This is something that theologians and historians have looked at the last 2,000 years. Like, man, if you're doing a movement, you don't like, hey, now after Jesus has ascended and they have the Holy Spirit, now you have the, the morons. Here you go. Like, they, they doesn't make them look like the writings of their time. Like, the leaders, the early leaders of the church, the writings don't put them in the best lighting, but it's true. So the gospels put it down. 
Tell the truth. It's one of the things that we do in our messed up lives. Even as Christians, when we need to repent, like, I don't need to pretty this up. I just need to come into the light and confess it. I don't need to make it look better than it is. Even some of us, when we're doing our prayer requests, trying to, like, make it less than what, because we just don't, you know, maybe want the attention or whatever. Like, just tell the truth of what you're struggling with. Tell the truth of what your doubts are. Tell the truth of what your questions are in a safe space. And watch what God will do. It must be fall, and, and we must fall in love with the truth of God, Old Testament and New Testament. Blaise Pascal said this, truth is so obscure in these times, and he wrote this a long time ago, and falsehood so established that unless we love the truth, we cannot know it. In the church, God doesn't need a professional marketing crew or us to add to things. Like that's a theology thing that it's called Jesus plus something. And we do it in the church all the time. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. You need Jesus and his gospel. No, you need to be Jesus and his gospel plus this other thing. And this Jesus plus other thing comes into many forms and many names. And we just need the truth. Watch what God does. The comfortable and the uncomfortable. The stuff that kind of like, oh, I don't want anyone. Let God use his, he uses it. He uses his absolute truth. He uses the good things you've done and the bad things you've done. And when we're in Jesus, we have nothing to hide. Amen? And the last point that can help us just walk through this heart, this bad heart, this critical spirit, is this point of testimony. Jesus asked them, have you forgotten? Verse 9, do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? I think we read this so much we forget they literally gathered all this stuff. And they still think the Jesus they follow can't provide the bread if that's what they needed. They still think that the Jesus that they're following needs them to do something other than to follow in obedience and faithfulness and humility, knowing that he is the champion, not you and me. The power of remembering what God has done. It's called testimony, and it's huge. I was once lost, but now I'm found. And when I mess up and I doubt and I stumble and I get angry or I say something I shouldn't say or do something I, sh I know the Bible says I shouldn't do, well, the Holy Spirit convicts me and I still don't listen, right? There's a time of repentance and I remember, women, I was once lost, but now I'm found. You can never leave me or forsake me. For the last 16 years, I have written out on every Friday night worship just prayer requests. And I, and I share this a lot because I'll go back through all those years and, just, and they're on my iPad and I'm like, I'll be embarrassed because in weeks of doubt, where I was like, God, where are you? I'll look at all these answered prayers. I'm like, oh, Lord. Oh, may I not. Why, why is my memory this way? Charles Spurgeon said this. We trace our joys in the sand, but we write our afflictions on marble. It's like negativity has a lot of power. We give it way too much power. Some of us, like even like that, that, that negative spirit, man, Inflation's hitting. There's no hope. 
don't like this next generation coming up. There's no hope. Oh, we'll see on who the next president is. Where our hope is. Like, our hope is in Jesus. And he'll never leave us, never forsake us. He's always good. His glory doesn't run out. Like, watch even just your negative thoughts and thinking. What you say over people, they will become many times. As we fight against false teachings that, man, every YouTube channel out there, every podcast, there's some unrighteous things being taught about God on both sides of many fences. And we need to walk in the Holy Spirit and walk in the Word. And part of that to do that is that we'd walk in the testimonies, how good He is. The same God who saved you however many years ago, you gave your life to Jesus Christ is the same God today, tomorrow, and forever. Remember that. And sing of his praises. The power of trusting in the Lord. He is real and he is tangible. And we are given the only thing that we really need. And it's Jesus and his gospel. So today I'll tell you, hold on to the gospel. The gospel is this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes him will have eternal life. That's how good our God is. He is good and he is holy. And a song that we sing to children throughout the ages has been, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the, the Bible tells me so. It goes back to like, why do you think the Bible is so important? His inspired word of God, a gift to us. Jesus loves me, for this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It was written by Anna Bartlett Warner. And she took this from a poem book that her sister had wrote years ago. And this was a poem spoken over a child to comfort them as they were dying. Those last words are very important. And it was a poem of a parent to a child to say, remember, the Bible says God loves you. And as the base of all we have and all that we go into is that God is love, even in his sovereignty and in his judgment and his righteousness, and we should never forget it. Because Jesus, as he's on the cross, his last words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing told his disciples one of his last words, man, I'm leaving so you can have the Holy Spirit who believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. As we look against dark words and false teachings and false movements and jealousy within the church, man, we need the word of God, but we also need the Holy Spirit. And let's walk more into that. Amen. As we close, three questions for us to ponder on. Before we pray and before we worship. And worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up when you're ready. The first question, and I asked this a couple weeks ago, and it's, just, it's the most important question you can ever be asked. Are you in a relationship or a religion with Jesus? For maybe someone that's here and they're like, what do you mean relationship with Jesus? What is this? Then if you don't understand what that means, I don't, I, you're probably not a Christian. It's one of the things that we have to be careful in our city. People, like, think they're saved by the umbrella of their family or their churches. Like, do you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? You are the, the created. He is the creator. You, you are the saved. He is the Savior. Are you in a relationship with him? 
Are you in a religion? Those are not the same thing. For some today, being here maybe the first time, like, man, I, just, I need to know this Jesus. One of my good friends, uh, was youth pastor, and this was years ago, and they're at a conference, and they do an altar call time with someone said, do you know the living God? If you were to die this day, do you know where you're going, that you're in that type of relationship that you're like, yep, he died for my sins. I died today. I'm going to paradise because he promised I'm in a relationship. His wife is a youth pastor's wife, and she's like, I'm not sure I know that. And she goes to the altar. He's like, honey, where are you going? She's like, I'm going to get saved. Right? This is an important thing. And for those of us that are like, yeah, I am saved, are you, are you, are you in a relationship? This is past religion. Are you understanding the bounty and the glory of being saved, but also knowing you're in relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords? Are you celebrating that today and walking with the Lord out of right relationship of what he's done or because of what you think you'll do? Second question. Are you on guard? Are you on guard? And why is that important? Because Jesus asked this same question or this command to his disciples. Like, be on guard against it. Guys, I don't want to be critical. I don't want to walk in a religious spirit, but we must be obedient. False teachings. Man, no, no. Corrections. Yes. Right? They're important. Are you on guard? And the only way you're going to be on guard is being in your Bible. Walking in the spirit. Amen? And the last question. Do you have a testimony? Do you have a testimony just to remember what God is doing in your life, what he's done to save you, what he's doing right now? And this question is it's kind of ambiguous. Do you have your testimony? Yes, you do. Do you have a testimony? Yes, you do. Sometimes we just forget about it. Do you have a testimony? Yes, you do. Why? Because God keeps his promises. He'll never stop working. He'll never stop doing. Do you have a testimony? Yes, you do. You just don't remember it or you don't speak it out enough. I thank God for the testimonies that people gave me as a young kid in middle school that showed me the same Holy Spirit that was speaking to me. It was the same God of the Bible. I thank God that someone had a testimony that said, man, you need to go to church. When I look at my neighbor left and right, I have a testimony that they probably need to hear, that this God is good, that he is gracious, that he is slow to anger, that he is willing to save, that he came to die on a cross so I would have life. Right and wrong matters. And Jesus came to heal. This is the testimony of all. If you guys can stand up, we're going to close in prayer. And just spend some time with the Lord. There are people in the back that would love to pray with you for any of the three questions we put up there or anything that you might have. As we seek the Lord, there's also communion in the back that we have every week. You should take as a believer, reminding the life and the blood and the gospel that Jesus gives us. Our doubt does not disqualify us. Our sin does not disqualify us. It's the not acknowledging the gospel. That's the only thing. So today, we come together and we raise hands to a holy God who is so good that he came to save us and give us life abundance here and now. And we can say amen to that. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you for your word and for your truth. Well, God, that we would be on guard as you've commanded us to be, that we would hold true 
to the teachings of Jesus. But that is the great commission that we would baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And continue to teach them the ways, the ways of Jesus. As we continue to study this gospel, would we walk more like Christ? Would we lift up the name of Jesus and not men? Holy Spirit, you are part of the Godhead. Do your work in your people. Bring us to your throne room. Teach us your ways. And Father, in Jesus' name, get rid of our critical religious spirits. The attack of the enemy, even on this church right now and every church here in Springfield. The fact that if churches would come together in this city, there's not amount of money of debt that we could not handle. There's not homes that we couldn't fix. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that the competition in this city would stop and the obedience and unity of the gospel would start. It's not just Emmaus that we want to lift up. God, it is churches all over the city that believe in a risen Savior, that believe in the Word of God and the Spirit of God. May the saints be unified in that. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.